Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We are finishing out a series that we have been on called Around the Table. And the premise of this whole series is the fact that Circles are better than rows. Now, what do we mean by that? When you're in a circle, you're sitting at a table and you're looking face-to-face at somebody over a meal or over a cup of coffee. That's where real connection comes in. Coming into a service like this, you have rows. And, you know, you're a part of it, but you're really not making those connections. And we just believe that the gospel is all about circles. It's about connecting with people. It's about building relationships. It's about iron sharpens iron, right? And so we've been talking about that as a reminder to all of us that God wants us to connect with others, with other people. And um, it's just been a fun series uh, to talk about. Um, I, I entitled the message today, God's Love Language. God's Love Language. And um, I want to talk about the table today. So about three years ago, Kim and I were renovating our home, and we'd gotten the bright idea to, to uh, make the dining room or make the den into a dining room because we needed more space for our growing family. And we moved some things around and went to the Habitat for Humanity Restore and bought some things and really made it a nice, nice kitchen area. And my dream has always been is to have one of those big farmer's tables. You know what I'm talking about? Those ones that are like a quarter mile long. And, and so we, we, were, we, were, we had this, it, it used to be a family room, and we're like, man, I could get like a, a sick table in this room. And <coughs> you have to understand my motive behind it was that, um, you know, I, I want it to be an heirloom that our, someday when Kim and I go home to be with the Lord that our kids could have. And, you know, all the meals around the table and all of the laughter and all of the arguing and all of the prayer, you know, just everything that happens around the table. Now, you need to understand in my family, I'm pretty much the only one that thinks this way. And I get mocked from my family for being so sentimental when it comes to family gatherings. But that's okay. I'll take it. And, uh, and so we, we went on this quest to find the perfect table. And so we, we took a Saturday and, and we were driving around um, Riverhead. And of course, we always go to Bob's Furniture first. We had hit all of the thrift stores because we're thrifters. We hit all the thrift stores and they didn't have anything. And uh, and so I said, let's go over to Restoration Hardware. Now, you know they have some unbelievable stuff, but the prices are unbelievable as well, right? But I thought, you know, let's just I'll get an idea of what we're, what we're wanting. And uh, so um, we did. And we, we, we drove up to Restoration Hardware, and they had about five or six tables out on the sidewalk, and it said clearance sale. And, and uh, there was one of them that caught my eye. And if you could just put that up here, this next picture, this is, this is pretty much just beefy. Just What I didn't plan on is you need like eight guys to move it. It's so heavy. But it's 12 feet long. Yeah, right? Right? Can you imagine the meals you can have with that thing? 12 feet long. And so I got to tell the story with it. So the, the price tag on that table, sit down. Okay. Um, the price tag on that table was four grand. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I said. Mm-mm, no, I don't spend four grand on anything. And uh, but we looked, and there was a there was a clearance tag, and it said fifty percent off. So that when it was down to two grand. But you need to understand, it wouldn't matter if the price was ten grand 
down to five grand. Two grand still a lot more than I'm willing to spend for a table. Now I'm wanting a Cadillac table for pennies, basically. Is there anything wrong with that? And I submit to you, no, not when God's in it. So, uh, so I'm like, I don't know. That's a lot of money. Two grand to spend on a table? We haven't spent, we haven't spent two grand on anything in our home. And if you come over, you'd probably notice that. Like, yeah, they're cheap. Um, but, but so we were, we were just, I said, let's just go look around some more. And we, dr- we were just beating our heads against the wall. We're driving all over. Nothing compared to this beefy, manly farm table that weighed 10,000 pounds. And so I said, honey, we've got the money set aside. Let's just, let's just buy this table for the family, for the family. It's for the children and the grandchildren. Let's just get this table. And we went back and forth, and, and we said, all right, we're just going to bite the bullet. We're just going to get this, this table. So we go back, and, and I think there was only two tables left. This is after about two hours. Only two tables were left. And I had this wave of panic hit, but that table was still there. And so I'm like, oh, two grand. I'm still struggling with it. So I said, let's just do it, you know, for, for an investment in our family. And so we, we grab the ticket, and we go up to check out. And, um, and we go up to the lady, and I'm stressed. I've got sweat beads on my forehead rolling because I've never spent that much on any piece of furniture. And, and I'm like, oh, gosh, am I doing the right thing, Lord? Blah, blah, blah. So she says that she's ringing us. She's all excited and chipper. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I hate you right now because I'm just so stressed right now. And she says, isn't it wonderful, the sale today? And we're like, yeah, it's wonderful. And she said, yeah, 50% off the 50%. And I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, just today only, 50% off the 50%. And I'm like, are you telling me that that table is a grand? She said, yeah. And I'm like, oh, get my wallet out there. And, 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 and she said, we got a family coming from Westchester because we can't hold anything. They're coming to get that table. I think she just threw that in there to guarantee that I would buy it. But I was, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And, and so we got that thing. And then I couldn't figure out how to get it home. And that's a whole other story. But... <coughs> But we've got this 12-foot testosterone-filled table that's just made. I mean, this thing, the house could be leveled by a storm. That table's going to stand. If there's ever a tornado or a hurricane or a meteorite or whatever hitting the earth, we're, we're, we're climbing under that table, and we will survive. And being this 12-foot long, it's probably bigger than our first house anyway. So, uh, so God was good. So let me just explain that that was so important to me. Because I wanted many years of memories around that table. And um, when, we fought, when we look at Scripture, um, it's interesting. We see the fingerprints of God uh, on our lives and how he designed us and created us. And the fact that um, sharing a meal together as people is one of the most uniquely human things we can do. No other creature created by God consumes his food at a table. See, some of you are like, wow, I'm glad I came today. That's useless information, but I'm glad, I'm glad you loved it. Sharing a table with someone reminds us that food, there's much more to food than just fuel or sustenance, but that there's a plan and a purpose with food, with a meal, with sharing a meal with someone. Tables are one of the most important places of human connection that you could have. We're, we're just, we experience uh, this joy when someone invites you to a home and they've cooked a meal. 
you walk in, you smell it, and, and, and you, you eat what they've prepared. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? You just feel fully alive. Obviously, um, I've enjoyed that a few times. Um, don't laugh at me. Laugh with me. It's important. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so this is, this is a very important thing. Uh, a few weeks ago when we flew to Israel, um, we, were, we had been up for like 30-plus hours, and we went to, we got to the airport, landed, got our rental car, and we went to this couple's home. They're a Jewish couple named Rafi and Tammy, and um, they prepared a meal for us. And they lived literally uh, less than a mile from the Gaza Strip. So, you know, they have a safe room in their house. They have seven seconds to get into that safe room when they hear the sirens. And, um, and so we went to their, their home. It's in a, in a thing called a kibbutz, which is like a communal neighborhood. And um, we didn't know them. Our mutual friend, you know, connected us. And they had cooked all day. And they had us at this, this table in, in their home. And... Um, it was awesome. They, they, she made this chicken with like apricots and all kinds of stuff. It was just unbelievable. Like five different kinds of hummus. By the way, the hummus was awesome at first, but after 10 days, I don't care if I ever eat another thing of hummus again in my life. I've had hummus so much. And I also learned a valuable lesson that um, if you eat a massive amount of dates and figs and you're traveling in the car... It's still very traumatic. No more dates for me for a while. <laughs> and couple that with the hummus, it was, it was anyway. Too much information, I know. You don't even have to look at me. I don't even, I'm not even going to look your way. Um, but they prepared this incredible meal with all these vegetables and the different kinds of hummus that they made themselves, the olive oils, the chicken. It was just un. Believable, and we made a connection with this couple that we had never met before. That you know, they're 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 not Christians. They're Jewish. They're they're not even really practicing Jewish. They're, they're we we had different political, you know, we had this great discussion, but we had this time around the table. Two days after we left that region, five hundred missiles were fired into that area. Yeah, and 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 the Israeli defense system was able to take out most of them. There were 70 that got through. No one was killed. But this is a part of their daily life. And we were already north of that about an hour at that point. But it, it was just crazy. But we called this couple up and prayed with them on the phone for protection. I don't think we would have been able to do that had we had not shared a meal together with them. You understand what I'm saying? There was a connection that took place. And, and I think we're, we're, we're going to find a friendship with them for a long time. It's no surprise, then, to find that throughout Scripture, God has a way of showing up at tables. In fact, at the very center of the spiritual lives of God's people in the Old Testament, there was a table of Passover that they celebrated all the time, of the, the, the uh, Israelites' um, uh, rescue out of Egypt. It was a, a Passover table is a very important thing. And in the New Testament, the, the very center of our lives is, is the, the table of communion. And so tables are very important. And I want to just show, with, uh, show you today some snippets, some, some areas in Scripture that I'm going to just pull out randomly to show you how God works through the table, how important it is for God to uh, reveal his, his expression of himself to us around the table. The first example is a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. Just say Mephibosheth. Isn't that a fun name to just say? Mephibosheth. 
Say it again, Mephibosheth. Don't you feel good saying that? Some of you want to name your firstborn child that name, Mephibosheth, just because it's different. Mephibosheth. He was, a, he was a young man that was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of King Saul. And as we know, David was very close to his dad, Jonathan. Jonathan and King Saul were killed um, on the battlefield. Mephibosheth, when he was a baby, when he was just a toddler, uh, they were under attack. The nurse that was in charge of taking care of him hastily tried to get him out of there. She tripped, she dropped him, and he broke his ankles, and he, he never healed right. And Mephibosheth was a crippled the rest of his life. Lost his father, lost his grandfather, lost all of his inheritance. Was living in a place called Lodabar, which was a very depressing place. There was nothing happening there. King David rises to the throne and he says, is there anyone in Jonathan's household that I could show kindness to? And someone said, uh, just, just this young crippled boy who was Jonathan's son. And David said, go get him. And I want to pick it up where Mephibosheth, to Mephibosheth, the table meant acceptance. Because as a crippled, he was rejected and he was an outcast. And this is, this is what it says in 2 Samuel. David says, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. It goes on to say that Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. One thing about being at a table is that you can be at a table and be crippled in your feet and all that's under the table. You are on the same plane at a table. The, and so I take that from a, even symbolically and spiritually in the sense that whatever you're walking through, whatever in your life is crippling you, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're battling with when you're at the table, all that's under the table. And you're having a conversation with the person across from you. I would much rather go and have a cup of coffee or a bagel or something at a table and, and meet with someone and connect than sitting in my office and on a formal couch and a chair and looking at each other like you're um, Dr. Phil or something. You know, I'd rather connect with someone over something. You know what I mean? You're going to have to help me today because I'm jet lagged from the trip and I'm jacked up on coffee. So you're just going to have to help me today a little bit, okay? Turn to someone and say, he needs help. Okay. So to Mephibosheth, it meant acceptance. So let's talk about David, David, who showed this kindness. To David, it meant God's presence. And David wrote a psalm that all of you are familiar with, and he wrote about a time that was difficult in his life, when he was running for his life. And this is what David wrote. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a what? A table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What David is comparing this to is a, is a generous Hebrew host that invites you over to a Hebrew meal. And when you're, when you're a guest of that that person, you are protected. You are, you are going to be given everything that you need. You're going to be treated like your royalty. And you're going to have a presence with the owner of the home. You're, you're going to be with them at his table. 
And David is saying, <coughs> on your darkest day, when, it, when the dark clouds roll in and, it, and you feel like you're, you're just going to die, you just feel like there's no good that can come in it. David is saying, but my God prepares a table for you in the middle of that to reveal to you his provision and his protection, but most of all, his presence. You might be here today and you might be going through one of the most difficult seasons of your life, and you need to know that God has set a table up for you to experience his presence. There was a book that was written several years ago called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And uh, the book suggests that each of us has one or two primary means by which we communicate love or receive love. And it's funny when Kim and I have talked with couples and you get, you get people that have two different ways they communicate love or receive love and they can't understand why they can't connect. It's so funny when, when you identify this and the, and the light comes on, they say, okay, I get it. One, one is all about giving gifts and the other one could care less about gifts. I don't want gifts. I just need you to hold my hand. You, you understand what I'm saying? So these are the five love languages that Gary Chapman identifies. <coughs> Words of encouragement, affirmation. Maybe you're the type of person that you feel loved when people encourage you and affirm you and say good things to you to make you feel. You, or that's, what, that's how you speak to other people. Words of encouragement. How many here, that's your love language? You just, you just feel great when people do that, like one and a half. Okay, that's all right. All right. The other one is physical touch or closeness. You just, you just need to be touching, you know, your friend or just holding. I see that's not, I, yeah, just touching, just, just holding your hand, walking and holding your hand. And uh, that, that's how you feel love. That's how, that's your, how many, that's you? Okay, more. Wow, isn't that crazy? How come some of the guys raise their hand on that one? I don't know. You got me thinking now. Um, acts of service. What you like for you to show someone that you love them? You're going to go mow their lawn, or you're going to shovel their driveway, you're going to do the dishes, or, 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 how many? That's you. That's you. See, that's awesome. That's awesome. Quality time together. How much? Quality time. Kyle, is that you? Does Scott do good with that? Okay, good answer. Gifts. See, my daughter is a gift giver. She just loves giving gifts, and, and that's what she loves. How many giving gifts? That's what you see. That's awesome. You guys are rolling today. You're, you're firing on all cylinders. So much better than the first crowd. Um, but I think Gary Chapman missed it because I think there's a sixth love language, and I'm going to write him and tell him this. <laughs> I think the next love language is food. He missed it. Now, I'm a foodie. I, not that you can't tell. I, listen, I got stung by a bee when I was in my 30s, and I can't get the swelling down. That's, the, that's what happened to me. Um, but I'm a foodie. So let me explain. I love preparing food in the kitchen. I, I, I always have. I love cooking a meal that my family and friends enjoy. That's my way of showing them that I, I love them, I care about them, is to make something for them. 
I have been um, on a quest to smoke, not smoke, smoke the perfect brisket in a smoker. Don't want you to get the wrong idea. <laughs> Some of you go right there, man, just boom. And, and so every, every over the holiday season, I will go to Costco and clean out their brisket area. I'm, I've got like five or six of them. And I have a dry rub that I do. And I, it's like a 20-hour process. And I put them in my smoker, and I tend it. And everything's got to be just right because when you're smoking brisket or ribs, there, there's so many variables that can ruin it. And so to me, I feel loved when they, when they eat it and they're like, oh, this is incredible. You're just like, yes, just hold me, hold me. I just feel so loved right now. And I feel loved. You ever notice when you're at someone's house for dinner? Man, it's. Okay, we will have, we call the, we'll call the, the fire department, we'll have a boat here to take you out to your car when we're done. Um, you ever notice when you're at someone's house for dinner and everyone's really formal? And I, I do this sometimes as a, I get a kick out of it, but everyone's eating. And, and one person, and I'll always go, boy, this is so good. And then, and then everyone around the table go, oh, that's so, oh, yeah, it's really incredible. Blah, 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 blah. Then I'll wait a minute and I'll do it again. Oh, this is incredible. Yep, and they do it again. Like, they feel like if they don't say it, they're not grateful. It's, just try it one time. It's hilarious. Uh, try it on Thursday. It'll work, I promise. But <coughs> I love cooking and preparing a meal for people that I care about and people that I love. And, and I'm convinced that food or sharing a meal is one of God's love languages. How do I know that? Well, when you look at creation, for instance... The, 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 the human being has over 10,000 taste buds. So if we were just to eat to get fuel to survive, why would God put taste buds in our mouth? Why would God create us with the ability to, to smell aromas and smell things that are pleasing to the nose and, and taste buds that are pleasing to the taste? Why would God do that? Because I believe that part of God's goodness is he wants us to enjoy his creation. And he created us with all these taste buds so that we can savor and enjoy food. Because food is meant to be more than just a fuel. It's meant to connect with someone. It's meant to be part of a community, to be part of a communal thing. When you look at um, uh, ancient, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything was centered around a meal. And I believe that part of that God wanted us to experience was the joy of that. Let's move on. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote the first book in the New Testament. To Matthew, the table meant belonging. And, and I just want to share his story in Matthew 9. It says, as Jesus left Capernaum, he came upon a tax-collecting station where a traitorous Jew was busy at his work. He was considered by the Jewish people a traitor because he was collecting money and abusing it for the Roman government. His name was Matthew. Come follow me, Jesus said to him. And immediately, Matthew jumped up and began to follow Jesus. Later, uh, Jesus went to Matthew's home to share a meal with him. Many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. So Matthew invited all of his crooked buddies, all of the outcasts. Come over. Jesus is having dinner. 
When those known as the Pharisees saw what was happening, they were indignant. And they kept asking Jesus' disciples, why would your master dine with such lowlifes? When Jesus overheard this, he spoke up and said, healthy people don't need to see a doctor, but the sick will go for treatment. Then he said, now you should go and study the meaning of the verse. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me sacrifice. For I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think they were already on the right path. Jesus knew something that others didn't know, and he knew that the intimacy of a table where people could feel accepted, where they, where they felt like they connected, that they belonged, like there was someone that was taking interest in them, would introduce to them the kingdom of God. I think Jesus had, was so effective around the tables, connecting with people. In fact, when Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples what his approaching death was going to be like and look like, he didn't do it in a, in a, in a teaching study where the PowerPoint slides. He had a meal with them, didn't he? And he said, this is what's about to happen. It was over that meal. said in, in Matthew 26, and, and they ate and Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body. Eat it. That same pattern of, of blessing and breaking and giving we see Jesus do all through the Bible. Last Saturday, we had uh, a little cabin on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and I got my Bible out, and I sat there with a cup of coffee, and I could see Capernaum, and I could see Tiberias, and I could see Chorus. I could see all these areas that Jesus would have done his ministry at. And even, even the area that we were in, I th- I'm convinced that could have been the place where he fed the 5,000 because of the way the topography was, all untouched since the time of Jesus. But one of his greatest miracles in the Bible, feeding the 5,000 and then feeding the 4,000, had to do with a meal where he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave. And he, he met every need that there was. I think, I think a meal or, God, or food is God's love language. I really do. Remember the woman with the alabaster box we talked about a few weeks ago? Jesus is reclining at the table of Simon. She comes in, breaks the box, and anoints him with this fragrance. Jesus was so blessed by that. And to her, that she was able to show her devotion at the table to her Savior. Let's talk about Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, one of the most famous. For Peter, the table was a place of restoration. Uh, you might remember Peter had denied Christ three times. Jesus had went to the cross. I can't even imagine what Peter was going through mentally and spiritually, knowing that he betrayed the Son of God. And after Jesus uh, had, had rose again, Peter was out fishing again because that's all he knew. He had blown ministry, any chance of ministry. He blew it. He's out on the fishing boat, fishing all night long on the Sea of Galilee, and they caught nothing. And so as they're coming in the next morning, and the sun's starting to come up, it's still a little misty out, he sees a figure at the beach, and he sees a fire and some smoke. And as he gets closer, the voice calls out to him, and he recognizes the voice. And Peter jumps in fully clothed, 
and swims about 100 yards to shore. And as he's coming out of the water, dripping wet, he sees the resurrected Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say, Peter, you should be ashamed of yourself for, uh, you know, denying me. Or you should have known better. Or, Peter, you need to do this or do that to get right with me. No. You know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, come, let's have some breakfast. So there was restoration that took place over a meal. One of the great joys of my life is we ate at a restaurant on the Sea of Galilee, and I ordered a whole fish that they cook them whole. It was called Peter's Fish. And I had a very spiritual moment eating this fish. (laughs) It was amazing. I thought, this is the same kind of fish. I looked at its mouth for a coin. There was nothing in it. It's just not right. I travel all the way there. I mean, I'd like to see a coin. But for Peter, the table of the Lord was a place where he felt a reconnection with his Savior. Jesus showed him by his love language, look, I'm preparing a meal for you. Come and sit and have breakfast with me. How about Zacchaeus? Remember Zacchaeus, that wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree? You know, you always heard that story in Sunday school. Well, Zacchaeus was worse than Matthew. He was the head of all the tax collectors, and he was the worst of the worst. And to him, the table brought life, new life. I want to just share with you quickly his story. We're almost done. It says, in the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was the supervisor of all the tax collectors. So you know he was getting a cut, a percentage from all the other tax collectors who were crooked. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a look at him. Man, I wonder how many people in our lives that we do life with, that we work with, that, we, that, that, that are just trying to get a glimpse of this Jesus that they see in us. They're looking at us like, there's something different about you. What is it? I just want to get a glimpse of, of this Jesus that you're talking about. I just, that to them, they're, they're, they're curious. They want to see it. That was Zacchaeus. <coughs> but it says the crowd around Jesus was massive. Zacchaeus was a very short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people. So he ran ahead of everyone and climbed a blossoming fig tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. And and as Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this. Of all people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of this crook. Zacchaeus joylessly welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his house. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I've cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, this shows that today life has come to you and your household, for you are a true son of Abraham. Let me me just say this, that that would not have happened if Jesus had not been at his table. Because we have no record of Zacchaeus following the crowd or Zacchaeus going to the temple when Jesus taught. This happened because Zacchaeus was blown away that Jesus came to his house to share a meal. One of the most distinctive things about Jesus was that he made it a point 
to have meals with sinners and outcasts and the worst of the worst. <coughs> and that rattled the Pharisees. The religious establishment hated it. They were trying to find ways to justify killing him because of this, because it made their religion look so useless and hopeless. They were, uh, they were, they, they were just going after him because of a scripture in, in Deuteronomy that, that talked about someone who was rebellious and who was a glutton and who was a drinker of wine and that they should be taken out and stoned. They were already formulating how to kill him because he was reaching people they would never be able to reach. For Jesus, having a meal was introducing them to the kingdom of God. As I start to come in for landing here, what about you and I? What is a table all about? There's going to come a day when God makes right everything that's gone wrong. There's going to come a day in the future, and I think in the near future, where we are with him in heaven. And the Bible talks about an unbelievable wedding feast that's going to take place because the bride is now reunited with the groom. And we are the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a table a lot bigger than my 12-foot table that's going to be there. And you and I are going to have a seat at that table, those of us that know Jesus and have a relationship with him. And, and it's going to be an extravagant meal to celebrate our relationship with our Savior. And let me just read quickly uh, John's account of that in Revelation. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the thunderous voice of a great multitude, like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt Him and give Him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. You and I are His bride. Fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear. And the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of his holy believers. And then the angel said to me, write these words. Wonderfully blessed are those who are invited to feast at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are the true words of God. If our band could come out. You and I are going to be there. We're going to witness this. We're going to be a part of that great celebration around a table. When I look at Jesus and I look at his ministry, and I think sometimes we do things with good intentions to try to reach people, and sometimes I think, would Jesus do that? And he probably wouldn't. <laughs> but what I'm seeing that he is good at is having a meal with someone and connecting with someone. And making a difference in someone's life. Circles are far better than rows. Don't you agree? I just jotted down a couple of things, observations of what we just talked about that impacted me. One of them is that we need people in our lives who are not afraid to walk with us when we're, strum when we're stumbling. Jesus, it didn't bother Jesus that he was having a meal with um, the worst of the worst. It didn't bother David that there was a cripple at his table. We need to walk with people when they're stumbling and we need people to walk with us when we're stumbling that are willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee and say, come on, talk to me. I want to help you. I want to walk through this with you. 
And I'm convinced that our dinner tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives. Like just connecting with a neighbor or a coworker or a friend. You know, maybe before we invite people to come to church, maybe we should invite them for a meal. And one of the convictions that I'm having in just preparing this, this message today was that I need to, sh to make it a point to share my people, to, to share with people that are in my life that are far from God to come to my table so I can model that, so I can show them. Listen, if this was God's strategy all through the eons of time to reach people around a table, I, I think that if we tried it, I, it might really work. Circles are better than rooms. Could we stand? Where did they go home? Could our band please come? Or Pastor Mike's going to have to sing karaoke and you don't want that? There you are. You got to have fun, right? We, we just have a blast on Sundays. See, you guys are all red-faced now. You missed the cue. It's going to be a disaster. The service is a disaster now. The table became one of Jesus' most extraordinary expressions of ministry to people. And so maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never asked him to come into your life and to be your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you've been invited here by someone or you've been coming a couple weeks and you know about religion, but you've never made a commitment to him to come into your life and to know him and to walk with him, to have him forgive you of your sins. There's a scripture in Revelations, and, and this is God speaking. It's Jesus, and he says, look at me. Look at me. You've got to get your eyes off everything else. You've got to look at him. I stand at the door, and I knock. If you hear me, call and open the door. I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Now the next verse we hardly ever read. But it says, Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I have conquered and took the place of honor at the sight of my Father. That's my gift to the conquerors. Jesus is saying, if you hear me knocking at, the, at your heart's door, open your heart and invite me in, and I will come and I will... I will I will have fellowship with you. I will have communion with you. I will, I will connect with you on that level that we're talking about today. He will come in, and, and, and the result of that, you will never be thirsty again spiritually. You'll never be hungry again spiritually. Everything you need will come out of that, that communion with him. And Jesus told the Samaritan woman, out of you will come rivers of living water. Remember when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life? Bread was the main staple of food for people in that day. What does he say? He's using food. He's saying, I am all of that to meet your needs that you have. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, <coughs> I want to just be a blessing to you and give you that opportunity today to say, yes, Lord, here I am. I want to make a change today. I I want, to, I want to change course. I want, I want you to come into my life. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to take the first step and invite you in. That's where it begins. 
But if you really stop and think about it, this whole time God has been knocking at your heart's door. And you've heard it. And you've heard it. And you're here today. Jesus is saying, open the door of your heart and invite me in. So we're all going to say a prayer today and just a, just a prayer that will help guide you today in this decision, in this monumental move in your heart to ask God in your heart. We're all going to do it together. But if you're here and, and this is why you came and you're like, man, I'm ready, I want you to pray this with all your heart and your soul and your mind. You guys ready? Let's pray this together. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing me here today. I believe And today I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to forgive me of all my sins, to fill me with your presence, and to transform me. I'm crying out to you today, Jesus. Fill me in Jesus' name. Now, that's the beginning. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of a life of relationship with your Creator. But if you could do me a favor today, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, just so I know how to pray for you, would you do me a favor personally? No one's going to bother you. I just need to know. Could you just, right where you're at, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer for the first time. Come on. Let's give it up for all these guys. Come on. So good, man. so proud of you. And, and the Bible says when, when someone comes to know Jesus that there's rejoicing in, in the presence of the angels in heaven. And, and, and God is watching you and looking down right now and just thrilled. If you need help, if you need prayer, there's going to be prayer people in the back uh, during the rest of the service. You can go back there and ask them questions or pray. We've got Bibles we want to, we'd love to bless you with. We want to help you in your walk. We want to walk with you through this journey of yours. And uh, how many are excited today that lives are changed? Amen. Go ahead. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.